the Own Your Intuitive podcast is for the creatives, spiritual entrepreneurs, and light workers in the world. The shining ones who have been told to dim their light and stop believing in magic. I say screw that. The time to rise is now to bring your gifts out into the world in a big way, creating a business that feeds your soul and your bank account. You are a magical being with the potential to change the world, one human at a time. The time for you to own your intuitive is now. Hey, magical beings of love light. I am so excited because I have what I consider one of the most epic humans in the land on the podcast today. I am so grateful to this woman because it was August of 2018 that I actually physically met her in human form. And <laughs> I was I was so scared when I met you to like ask you. Like, Let's talk. We'll talk about that a little further in because I, I have thought, I have a question about that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I love it. But in the moment that I met you and you were like living and breathing your essence of A Course in Miracles into our group, into, you know, how you were speaking to us. And I was still holding back a little bit in my spirituality. And I asked this magical human, you know, about coming out of the God closet. And Karen Kenny, who is the guest today, shared so much of herself with me. And even when I reached out for her to be on the podcast and said, do you remember me? You said, I know exactly who you were. I know exactly where you were sitting. I remember that conversation really well. And that alone, to me, really defines the type of human you are and how special every single person you come in contact with is to you. And so I am so grateful to you and I am so grateful that you are sharing your stardust and your light with this podcast and listeners today. Thank you so much, Karen Kenny, for being here. Oh my God. Today. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a happy honor and a delight. I, I love, I love, you know, I got a big mouth. I love getting to talk about things that I love with people I love and just getting to, um, you know, the opportunity to speak to people who maybe don't know me or whatever. So I, I always say I never, ever, ever take it for granted. When somebody invites me uh, and trusts me with their, call it, I call it my people, you might call it your tribe, your listeners, whatever. So just thanks for the warm invite. It's like such a blast. And yeah, I remember exactly, I remember exactly where you were sitting in the room. And, and I was like, so what, like, I just thought it was so funny that I'm like, <laughs> you think you're fooling anybody with like, you think you're in the God closet, but like, I don't, I don't, you're right. Yeah. So, and I think sometimes it's this weird thing where we feel like um, we just need another person to reflect back to us our, 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 the fact that we're a child of God and that, you know, we're here to like do some things and like, it's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. And I, I just, I always encourage people for me, uh, this isn't a popularity contest. I'm, I'm not really that interested in everybody liking me. And I, I did a, um, I did a, um, a newsletter or a blog post before and actually I'm like I should probably put it on a podcast but I, I often say that if everybody likes you you're doing it wrong and wow. uh, because our job isn't to get everybody to like us or agree with us in fact if you're being truly authentic and truly yourself there are going to be a lot of people who won't be for you and that's perfect that's that to me is how it should be so yeah so I'm, I'm glad that that something that like came out of my mouth <laughs> or as I say Something that uh, came from my hat also landed in your hat. So thank, just thanks so much for having me. It's a blast. Oh my goodness, you have an effect on people, Karen. Let's be real. Like, I mean, I just got to hang out with you again like a couple weekends ago, and I'm like spouting off Karen Kennyisms everywhere I go since you know two weekends ago. Like, you leave, uh, you leave these little tidbits or these seeds 
in people's hearts that allow them to grow. And then, you know what I mean? Like it's a beautiful gift. Thank and you, sweetheart. That's really sweet. Thank you. <laughs> so I just kind of want to, one of my, the, the way that I normally start this podcast, because I think it's really important for people to hear this part of our stories as well, is I always ask the question and it can come out in any which way and however it comes out, however long is totally part of the process. But like, what's Karen Kenny's origin story? Oh, gee. Well, first of all, if you go listen, I literally, my episode one of the Karen Kenny show is called An Origin Story. So <laughs> you can go listen if you want all, we don't have time on this show to like really answer that question. Um, so basically what people want to know is like, all right, so like you're a spiritual mentor, you're a writer, you're a speaker, you're a storyteller. Like, how did you get there? Like what, like what, what happened? Right. That's really, so I always laugh. So I'm a kid from Lawrence, Mass, uh, Boston. That's like 30 miles north of Boston. I'm a Boston kid. And so there's always this thing that we've done. Like, it's just like a, a very New England blue collar kid. Like if we're in any kind of situation where there's other people and we see somebody that either attracts us or repels us, we go like this. What's their fucking story? <laughs> What's her fucking story? Right? Like, we got, whatever, right? So I just love getting asked that question. Really, like, what you're saying is, so what's your story? <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll tell you. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So basically, I, like I said, I, I, I grew up in a, in a tough little city, a little immigrant city about 30 miles north of Boston. And uh, <laughs> the very wicked Cliff Notes version, I like to keep it short, because, A, because I tell this story all the time. So as a writer and as a writing teacher, I'm also a gateless writing teacher. Uh, when somebody says to me, like, oh, I want to write a memoir, I want to, you know, nonfiction, I want to tell my story. One of the things I always say is, well, when you start off telling your story, what you want to do is ask yourself, like, basically, wh why am I telling this story? Why this day? Why does the book start here? Like, what's the inciting incident or what I like to call the kicker, right? So it's like I often have people do this exercise where they look at their life and I'm like, okay, what's your headline story? If we were going to just be able to say, like, one thing, like, how, how the day, how this day made my life never the same again, okay? And so this is the, I always say, a bunch of shit happened before this. I always start at 12 years old, but a bunch of stuff happened and a ton happened afterwards, but this is the inciting incident. So my parents were, my biological mother and father were married very young, I think at like 18. Um, they were married for two years or probably four years because my mother had me when she was 20. Uh, I was two when my parents got divorced. So I think they were together for like however long it was. I'm not even sure. That's how much I know. Not even sure. But my mother had my sister at like 18, had me at 20, we're a year and a half apart. And then they got divorced. And then my, who I consider my dad, my stepfather, came onto the scene when I was three. And he was with us until um, I was 12. So like nine years. So he was like a major influencing impact in my life. But he, I always say like my father, God bless him was my dad, I should say, uh, God bless him was, <sighs> I always say he was an unintentional teacher. <laughs> he was an unintentional teacher and his methodology. Um, when I look back now, like I wouldn't have changed it. Um, I don't think because it's crafted like who I am, but it could have been a little, it could have been a little nicer. My, my father just didn't tolerate any weakness and he was hardcore and he never like punched us or like smacked us, but he pushed us and he poked us and he put you up against the wall. There was a lot of violent kind of energy in our household. My parents fought constantly. I always say they were young, they were beautiful, they were wicked smart but they were really stupid in a lot of other ways, like how to communicate. And so it would go from like zero to 60. It would be like quiet to screaming, right? It was like, there was no like throwing plates of food. It was a war zone. So any kids at home who grew up in a family where there was constant fighting, 
like it does something to the nervous system of a little person, right? So I like I lived in fear a lot, and um, and it wasn't like, oh, I have fear that my dad's gonna come home and kill me. It wasn't like that, but it was like it's it's what shaped me into being a very young people pleaser and being able to what I call Cirque du Soleil myself into different versions to survive, right? So my parents fought all the time. They would get separated all the time. And he um, would leave all the time. And so one of these last times, so it was 1981, they were separated. He was living at my aunt's house. He already had a girlfriend. I didn't, I'm like, they're not going to reconcile this one. This is probably it. And, um, and I was, I was just crushed by it because my father, as much as I feared him, I also was in awe of him. And I now don't, I'm not in awe of any human beings, but back then when I was a little kid, I was like in awe of him. And, um, and I just wanted him to love me so desperately. My sister was psyched. He was out of the house because she got the brunt of it. I mean, she, she really got the brunt of his stuff. And uh, I always say like, I was a naive 12 year old, but she was a really mature 13 year old. She just, that, that 18 months, man, made a big difference in how we saw the world and stuff like that. So during one of the times that they were separated, um, my mother went out one night, which was really common in my household. My parents used to go out and they would go dancing and they would, you know, they like, not like, not like I say potty, like my dad drank, my mother drank. I don't think she drank a ton, but like my dad, you know, they definitely drank and had a good time. So they went bowling, they went out dancing, they did things. So her going out wasn't a big deal. So one of these nights, I was 12, my sister was 13, about to turn 14. My mother went out and she just didn't come home. And uh, the next day she was missing. She was missing for many, many, many hours. And my sister just sent me off to school. And it took me like 27 years for us to actually have the conversation about what actually happened that day because I was at school. My sister stayed home on purpose, pretended she was sick because she knew something was up. And I didn't find out until I interviewed her for my book, for the memoir, um, what actually happened that day. But like I said, we were a family that we didn't talk about things, you know? So, uh, so basically what happened is my dad ended up showing up at the house um, later that day. And we hadn't seen him in a few months. So I was really happy to see him. And he basically just sat us down and said, look, I'm just going to tell you your mother is dead. And we found out later that, that day, uh, it was in the newspaper and stuff like that. Um, that, you know, my mother had been murdered. She had been violently, brutally uh, beaten to death. And um, she was kicked and punched to death. And, you know, the police at the time said it was the most brutal, brutal crime that they had ever seen. She was beaten beyond recognition. So it was just awful. It was just awful to think of my mother that way. She was found half naked from the waist down, left to die on the side of a road. And um, so it was pretty, pretty. So that was like, the inciting incident, right? So that was the thing that like my life was never the same again, because then we, you know, my, my dad didn't want us and my biological father was living in Illinois and I didn't even know who he was. He showed up and I was, I had no idea who he was. And then like other aunt and uncle wanted to send us off to a boarding school, a Catholic boarding school in Rhode Island. And we're like, if you do that, we'll run away. We're not going there. And I ended up going to live with uh, an aunt and uncle who I didn't know. Uh, They were like strangers to me. And so my whole life was just, I mean, literally, like we left our house that day and, and never slept there again. My whole life changed. And, and then we were, again, we were a family who never talked about it. So my mother's body was found on Thursday morning at around 11 a.m. Um, by these pet cemetery workers. And then she was buried in the cemetery uh, by Saturday at 11 a.m. And so it was just gone. She was just gone, like in the flash of an eye. And nobody was talking about it, even though it was on TV and in the news and in the newspaper, on the radio. But if it came on, they'd shut it off. So it was just like, it basically created an obsession with me. I was always already a curious kid. 
But, you know, as my writing mentor, uh, Andre DeBuse III says, you know, I knew, I knew the facts. I eventually figured out the facts of what happened to her. But it's like, what the hell happened? Because that was like that, that people don't understand, like, we're really numb to violence. We're really numb to violence in our world, world nowadays. And you don't get it until it happens to you. I can honestly say that. Like, you see something terrible, a mass shooting on TV, and you go, oh, that's too bad. Like, oh. I'm like, every single one of those families in that community, it has such an exponential effect, that kind of violence. And so it blew up not just my world, my sister's world, my family's world but the community, like it was just rippled out. It was like really fucking awful. Let's just call it what it was. However, as you know, I say, like my whole thing is all about your story to your glory. So it's within that story though. It's within that, those, those tragedies and those wounds, those, those, those things that you just think like, how am I ever going to come back from this? Right. It's from that place that your strength comes. It's from that place, right. That your glory comes from those stories of our past. If we can, if we're willing to let go of the meaning we've applied to them and rewrite them. And that's what I do for a living. That's what I do for work. And so my own deep suffering over many, many, many years is a reason why I teach about the fearless flow, because I spent most of my life terrified. Because <laughs> after something like that happens, it's like, the world's not safe. Men aren't safe. It was a you know, guy that killed her. Um, just... Can I, I just ask if he was ever found? Like, did they ever? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was found very, he, yeah, they caught him the very next day. Okay. Uh, and he was a well-known, prominent businessman. Uh, it divided, it divided the Merrimack Valley. I mean, Lawrence, North End of a Methuen, like, it was just like, it was a really big deal. Um, because there were, like, his family, of course, thought he didn't do it. I mean, they had so much evidence. They had so much evidence. It was ridiculous. They found, you know, like, his bloody shoes in the ceiling of his cellar his wife had hid them there they in his hand oh my god his wife hid them like well sorry. it's a lot like i said i know i get it yeah, i get it like, i'm just like, like it's hard not to get like into the story right yeah, no yeah but i awful i'm like i want to bring value to your listeners too. i know i know i can well, talk about this story all day long yeah so there's just a lot of pieces why I'm, I'm also one of the reasons why i'm writing a book is because because people, you know, uh, in, in the spirituality world, everybody just kind of likes to go to the light, Carolyn. Like, you know, and yeah, you are the light of the world. And we have to sometimes look at these other things. And I just felt like my mother and her story was just kind of like swept under the carpet. But there's so much there. I mean, there's so much there. So I want to I write this book and I want to share the story for a lot of different reasons. And to help people, because um, I really do believe, I always say this being human, like pain is inevitable, uh, but suffering is optional. And it, my own suffering, it was my own uh, deep suffering that has um, compelled me uh, and inspired me to, um, first of all, it made me way more compassionate towards other people's suffering of all kinds. It didn't have to match mine, right? It didn't have to be a dead mother or a murdered mother or whatever, but just seeing suffering. And then just the tools that I learned over the years of like what really helped me transform and change my mind from a thought system of fear to a thought system of love, blah, 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 blah. And so that's kind of how I ended up where I am and doing the work. I've always loved books. Okay. Books saved me. I'm a storyteller, blah, blah, blah. There you go. <laughs> I know, but the going from fear to love, blah, 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 is kind of like the heart and soul of everything. So from the standpoint of like, I am a mother right now, I have two 13 year old, you know, beings in my life. So like when you're telling that story, I, I feel it from the level of, I can't imagine what they would feel 
yeah. if they were going through that, right? Yeah. So like for people listening, like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's heart-wrenching to me. And I know that you went from this fear to like, but can you I, paint a little picture of, yeah. you know, the blah, 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 like the, you know, what? Oh, no, I was just saying blah, 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 because I okay. get really long answer. I know. <laughs> I know but like, I'm like, okay, I just like cleanse the palate. I just need to like, woo, like a refresh. <laughs> Uh, there's like stages what? of your grief there that you had to have gone through to finding, you know, your path, your light or God and, and what that looked like, you know? Yeah, I mean, I often say like, you know, my mother was the, the compass that I used to navigate the world. Uh, I was a wicked sensitive kid and my mother really saw that in me. And my mother was the one who um, really made me believe that I could do anything and be anything. And she loved me like a mother does unconditionally. And, and she reported back to me. She reflected back to me what she saw in me. Uh, and after she died, I didn't have that anymore. I still to this day, like when a friend says to me, like, oh, I'm proud of you. And some people get weird around that. Like some people can be, feel like saying I'm proud of you is condescending. Like somehow you had something to do with their whatever. But there's a part of me that, that always receives it. Um, with joy and love because I don't have parents or adults in my life who've been since I was 12, really saying to me, I mean, I've had, I've had a few teachers and a few people, um, you know, who kind of played those roles uh, knowingly and some not so knowingly that would say, I'm proud of you. And it really means, means a lot to me. Uh, but anyway, so um, I don't know where I was going with that, but anyways, I, I think that one of the things that I had to find out for myself was, first of all, books, books were a lifesaver for me. And I often say as little, when we were kids, you know, we didn't always have enough food in the house, but there were always books. Uh, we always had library cards and my mother loved reading. And so um, books like fucking saved me. Books saved me. And um, I, I, I always say, like, I never once said as a kid, uh, I want to be, first of all, I want to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be Dr. Doolittle, really, call spade a spade. That's what I wanted to be when I was a kid. I wanted to be able to just talk to the animals. And then that translated into I want to be a veterinarian. Uh, but I've always loved books, and I've always loved telling stories. So I've known I've always loved to tell stories. I can say that. So books were a salve that, like, saved me uh, when I was a kid. And so I threw myself into books because the people around me weren't talking about it. So what I ended up starting to do, that's how I started journaling is I, I didn't know what to do with the things that I felt and that I thought, and I didn't have anybody to listen or to talk into. And so I started journaling and books, just like I said, saved me. And so, and it's so funny, like, you know, you, I talk about having a spiritual team. Oh, I know what I was trying to say. My mother was the compass that guided me. And then I went off into books. And so what I often say about this is when my mother left, uh, the void Although there was, this is where it gets weird with spiritual talk, okay? So I'm just going to be woo-woo or high-minded. All the time. Bring it in. Yeah, there's the, I'm going to be high-minded for a second. So we talk about, oh, so-and-so died and it left a gap. It left a gaping hole. It left a wound. It left a, a space that could never, a void that could never be filled. No, no. When a person physically leaves, I'm like, it appears or feels like, right? But there's never really a void or a gap. I just have to be clear. It just feels that way. So what I often say, I always say, I always say, um, like, be weird. I'm all into being weird, but don't be a fucking weirdo. And what I mean by that is it can be really easy to take a course in miracles principles or spiritual principles and actually end up sounding like a dick and not sounding very loving or compassionate. Right. 
So you're never going to go up to somebody and say, oh, I know your mother died, but um, actually she's still right here. All that changed was the form. So you don't have to be sad that her body's got, like, you just don't do that. So that's don't be fucking weird, right? So what I'm trying to say is I felt a huge void when she left. So the way that I often talk about it, I'm coming down to this level now, world level, just conversation is that I felt a huge void. And so the space that she left right? The, 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 the hole that was there, it created a lot of space for God. Hmm. So I stopped looking at my mother, how to navigate. Uh, and I had to find my own internal compass and my own inner GPS, which I always say, God's pretty smart. So I started to listen to a different voice rather than looking outside of me. I went to the inner teacher. Yeah. So, so that was a really powerful thing. I, I often say that losing my mother, how I did and when I did, I was one of the greatest gifts that ever happened to me ultimately. But my question is, did somebody help guide you to God or did you just innately know? I was a a Catholic kid. So like, you know, we, we were raised like Jesus, the Holy Trinity, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, Mother Mary, like all the characters, St. Francis, like St. Francis is my guy. I love St. Francis. He's the patron saint of animals and the environment. I've always loved St. Francis because St. Francis sees everything, everybody, as his brother and sister, he, he didn't see animals any differently. And he would go out into the woods and he would give his sermons. He would preach his love of the divine to the birds and to the, to the bunnies. And like, and he'd just like gather around his little creatures and he's just always seen God everywhere. And I just love that so much. So sidebar so yes, here for the listeners. How many animals do you have? Uh, well, seven. <laughs> I, have four, I have four dogs, two cats and a bunny. Okay, so don't even. In a way, you embody a little St. Francis. Yeah, and it's no no mistake that every year on October 4th, which is my birthday, it's when all the churches and stuff do the blessing of the animals. It's St. Francis's blessing of the animals day. So it's just like in the DNA or whatever, right? So I came through with a great love for animals, and that was my mother too. We always, my mother was always taking in every stray possible human or animal. Uh, my mother was just a ferocious lover of people. And, um, and she, my mother, when, when my mother walked into a room, like you knew it, like she was beautiful. I always say, when we talk about the light of the world, my mother was the light of the world. Like she walked into a room and it was like, oh, like Patty's here. Like, you know, it's like, oh yeah. And she had a huge love of life. And I, I remember talking to one of the detectives when I first started doing research for the book. So this is about 20 years ago. Um, no, no, this was 90 like nine, oh yeah, like 92, like around 91, 92. This is a wicked long so time. How old are you there? I was like 21, 22. I was getting ready to move to LA to California. Um, and my only, my, the hottest thing for me about leaving Boston, because I lived in Boston at the time, and the hottest part for me leaving was I felt like I was abandoning my mother. I wasn't worried about leaving the living people, but I felt like I was like, I mean, she was dead in a grave. And I, even, even where her grave is, that's not where I feel her, most, her presence most strongly. It's, it's where she actually took her last breaths. Um, but I just had this thing of like, I don't know, like, oh, I'm leaving. I'm leaving Lawrence. I'm leaving Boston. I'm leaving my people. I'm leaving my mother. I'm leaving this thing. And so I wanted, before I left, I was like compelled to do some research. And so I found one of the detectives, uh, a few of them were already dead. He, he's dead now, but he's still alive. Detective T-Boat, who I talked to, T-Boat. Um, and he was security guard at a bank or head of security at this bank. And I went and met him. 
And he had to do a lot of research for the case, the murder case, right? So he was the detective. So he had seen so many pictures of my mother and uh, all this stuff. So I knocked on his door. And when I stepped in, he looked up and he saw me and he said, you must be Patty's daughter. I mean, he recognized me, right? You know, and, and I said, yeah. And we sat down and we talked. And, and he said to me, I, 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 I feel bad. I feel like I know your mother better than you do. And because I was 12 when I lost her and he was experiencing her as an adult. I never got to know my mother, me as an adult. So he just told me things about her. And he said, your mother had a, a love of life, a zest for life. Everybody that I've talked to loved your mother and they loved what she brought to the world. And it was just beautiful to hear, you know, so that's kind of like that little thing. Um, but yeah, so books were always the way and we're back books were always the way that like I would seek comfort so whether it was through writing journaling or reading books and when I was 12 years old right after my mother died I discovered a book called fire starter by Stephen King so I always say my spiritual team and people are like how is Stephen King on your spiritual team and I'm like let me tell you <laughs> so I found this book called fire starter and the story is based around I don't know if you've ever read it oh, but it's read based it. Oh, you did. Yeah. So basically the main character in this book is a little girl uh, called Charlie. Okay. So when I was a little girl, I did not look like a girl. I looked like a boy until I was 13. So the neighbor, one of the neighborhood mothers used to call me Harry. So I'm like, okay, so here's a girl with like a boy's name, like totally relate to that. She's 12 years old. Her mother had just been murdered. Totally relate to that. She's on the lamb, like with her dad. Uh, I ended up on the lam when my sister decided to run away when we were like 13, 14. That, that's a whole other thing. We gone. She was gone for many weeks. I was only gone for eight days. Um, whole story for another day. But so there's all these parallels and I'm reading this book and Charlie had this gift. Like um, they call it, I can't even decide, but the gift is you can set things on fire with your mind. Like if you get angry or you project your feelings. And I was like, that's how I felt. I just wanted to set everybody and everything on fire with my rage. I was so scared, but I was so angry. I was so pissed. I was pissed that my mother left. Clearly not her fault, but you're a little kid, right? I was like, why did you leave me? So I was mad about that. I was mad at the guy that killed her. I was mad at my dad for not wanting. I would never say it out loud. I just internalized everything. You know, hello, irritable bowel syndrome is the reason how that ended up happening because everything went in. I stuffed it. I was like the queen of sucking it up and stuffing it down because that was what was required to survive when I was a kid. So it was a perfect storm of stuff. And so I turned to books and um, I always had a library card. And thank God, I say, thank God bless libraries because what libraries do is they even the playing field for poor kids. And they give us access to knowledge and adventures and worlds that we would never have access to. So books were always where I naturally sought comfort, whether it was to enter worlds, to get out of the world that I was in, which was full of suffering, and to enter a new world. And so later on, when the self-help movement happened, I just happened to be in California at the exact time when Oprah was really big, and uh, Marion Williamson was big, and Deepak, and Wayne Dyer, and Ayanla Van Zant, and Louise Hay, like, all these people were like churning out whatever. Tony Robbins, right, had just come out. So I was like in the perfect place at the perfect time, went into a bookstore, it's a whole story for another day, but I discovered um, A Return to Love by Marion Williamson, which is reflections uh, based on uh, principles of A Course in Miracles. And that book just blew 
my mind. It was a total life changer like it has been for millions of people. And so Return to Love led me to A Course in Miracles. A Course in Miracles uh, has, I've been a student of the course for over 26 years. But Marianne was also local. She was in LA. And eventually when I finally was able to afford to buy a car, because I took the bus everywhere because I was poor when I lived in LA, I ended up going to her lectures. We ended up meeting, long story short, I ended up working for her and living with her for a period of time. And so she, and she was actually, I was with her last night. She was in New Hampshire last night. So it was great. But I, I really got some on the ground boot camp. Like, and it wasn't even like people think like, oh my God, Marion was mentoring you. I'm like, well, it's not like we sat down every day and she was like, read this lesson. It was me watching her in her own life and seeing the principles of A Course in Miracles applied and getting to see her humanity, seeing her as a full rounded picture right? Um, and being able to see how the divine works. And like, if, if we had an altercation or a situation, I shouldn't say an altercation, if we had a disagreement, the solution was let's pray. I was like, nobody in my life had ever like done that. So like I said, I always say gradually, but inevitably, because what A Course in Miracles teaches is, is surrendering a thought system. It teaches a lot of things, but one of the hot beats is surrendering a thought system of fear. Uh, relinquishing it and instead choosing a thought system of love. And it's not like this, um, what I find a lot in the spiritual world, which, you know, whatever, people love to sit around, like spiritual people are really good at incubating ideas, as Marianne would say. We're really good at talking about stuff and thinking about stuff and theorizing about stuff. And where, where there needs to be a little kick in the ass is rubber meets the road. Like, are you, are you walking your talk. Like, you know, there's a lot of people that talk a talk. I see a lot of bullshit in the coaching world. What, what my friend Kristen and I calls like fast food spirituality. I don't know where she, I'm not sure. She's like, I can't remember where she first heard it. So I just see a lot of bullshit. Um, and so I'm really interested in practical daily application of these things you say to love and do. And I'm always like, Yeah, I don't, I don't want, look, it's not my job to be the fucking spiritual police. So I don't walk around like, you know, pointing at people and tickets to everybody and things like that. My bullshit alarm goes off a lot. Infraction, infraction, (laughs) But my bullshit alarm goes off a lot. And so my whole thing is I wanted to live a life where what I thought and believed is reflected in my words and my actions. Because if you're out of alignment, I always do, right? If you're not in alignment, then you're going to suffer, (laughs) right? You can't just talk about the things and think about the things. It's, am I living it? And so I was given a lot of opportunities to live my forgiveness, which is the happy, Course in Miracles, like really the thing of it is the peace of God through forgiveness. And so I had a lot of forgiveness opportunities, like forgiving the man that murdered my mother and forgiving my mother for leaving, even though, you know what I'm saying? She yes, didn't. Yes. And forgiving my father for not wanting us and forgiving my family for just being fucked up and forgiving, like, and forgiving myself for even thinking that I'm in a body separate from God. Like there's a lot of layers. And so yes. it's been just a journey, man. It's been a really big journey. But I'm so curious. Cause like through all this, I'm like, what brought her to LA? Like, you know what I mean? Like, why did you leave Boston? It's like- not some big mystical thing. This is what, like another thing. It's like, I think also too, I'm not saying you think this, but a lot of times people think like, uh, you know why? Because the, 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 the weather the team is always on the job. Well, yeah. Well, A, I didn't know about the weather. I mean, I was a kid. I was a kid. You got to understand, like, 
Lawrence Boston. I've never to this day still, and people get heart. Marianne actually makes fun of me all the time for this. And I have no desire to, just so I'm clear. I've never been to New York City. I don't want to go. I don't really care. Like, I think it's cool. Like, hey, I hear it's a great city, cool vibe, lots of action, hustle, hustle. Great. I am not compelled to go there. <laughs> Is it funny that I'm going there today? <laughs> yeah, great. Have a blast. Enjoy. It's not that I want No, I know, I know. I just think there. it's funny. I love I'm it. Not, I'm not pulled. I am pulled to the warm areas. It's yes. always like, get someplace warm. Like, that's what I'm pulled towards. So, um, so I guess one of the, what I'm trying to say is, so here I am living in Boston. When I graduated college, I was a communications major. I, I, was, uh, I had a little, like, minor in English, but really I was a copywriter. I was a communications and advertising major. And while all my friends who had parents and homes to go home to, so, like, my aunt and uncle <laughs> – I had my own car at that point, but I drove to BU in my car. Should never have had a car in Boston. Should never have had a car in Boston. It was a nightmare. I got so many tickets. The car got impounded. Like there were so many things that happened because I was 17 and I didn't know shit. And they just dropped me off at college. They followed me with my shit from my room. My sister on her 18th birthday moved out of their house. So I was there for another year. And then I moved when I went to BU. So this is 86. 17 years old, drop me off and they never come back. Like I was on my own at 17. So, and they had two kids of their own. So when I finally left, my sister and I shared this tiny room with bunk beds. And then when she left, I dismantled the bunk bed. And then when I left, their kids who were sharing a room now had their own room. So I had nowhere to live. So when I'm 17, I'm on my own. I don't know where I go on breaks. I don't know where I'm sleeping on Christmas breaks or the summer. It was like, okay, I didn't have parents. So when all my friends were putting together their advertising portfolios to try and get jobs after graduation, that was not my reality. My reality is where are you going to live? How are you going to eat? Or how, well, you got to get a job. And it's like get any job you can. So I became the concierge at the Hyatt Regency Hotel in Cambridge. And I fucking loved being in the hotel business. I, as a concierge, I got so many perks. I had so much fun in that city. But uh, it was like, what, like, this is not advertising. So it's like I spent like 86000 whatever it was, $100,000 basically to go to BU to then never use my degree. Uh, but... I was a communications major, so I learned more about storytelling. I learned more about marketing. Like, look, I know what all marketing is, is manipulative storytelling. <laughs> like, really is what it is. Trying to get you to feel something so you make a choice to buy their product. Like, I get it all. So I did learn a lot. I'm not going to say I didn't, because being at BU as a kid from Lawrence, it was like, whoa. I met people of other, you know, I met my first Jewish person. Like, maybe I had met other Jewish kids or whatever, like, when I was younger, but I never knew. So it was like, oh, I met, I got to be around, and I was always in a diverse, uh, like, culturally, being from Lawrence, you know, there was a lot of Hispanic, Puerto Rican, uh, French, Italian, Irish, uh, Black, like, it was a, so that was beautiful, that was always in my life, and I went to BU, that didn't change, so, but meeting people from, like, all over the world came to BU, so that was really incredible, um, but so, when I graduated, it's like, okay, I got to just get a job. I got this job and I was living with, again, I didn't have a place to live. So I would crash at my friend's apartment and she was um, one of my childhood friends. She was a year behind me in school, but she went to Emerson. So she had an apartment in, in uh, Boston. So I would like crash at her place. 
And MSN has a really great placement program to help you get jobs. So she got a job at CBS at Young and the Restless to be their casting director. Well, she wasn't there as a casting director to begin with. She was just there as a showrunner. I don't know what she was doing. But she got this cool internship. And I was just like living on her couch. And she was like, do you want to come with me? And I was like, okay. Why not? <laughs> That's how I got to LA. But they knew why I was going to LA. I didn't know why I was going to LA. And how genius that she went to LA because she just won her second Emmy for casting director wow. uh, for, yeah, for the, um, all my children. So we were both exactly where we needed to be because that's how I met my spiritual teacher and my spiritual godmother, Marian Williamson. It's how my spiritual life and my suffering first started to end. So it wasn't like I had a dream and I was called. It was literally like getting shit faced over drinks. My friend goes, Want to come with me to California? And I go, okay. But it was already written. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. But I think it's a really powerful thing too. And I'm just going to come back to this too. Like give you a little bit of like, you know, powerful choice making because, you know, you get to LA, you are in the self-development now and, you know, people are coming out of the woodwork. And as soon as you could have enough money, you made the decision. You, the human, made the decision to seek out being in the lecture halls, to be in those places, to, you know, try and shift your your internal landscape so that you could be a higher vibrational human. Yes. Right? Yes. I will say this. I will say this. Thank <laughs> you for that. I will say this. Um, number one, I've always been a wicked curious kid. I've always been curious about why people do what they do. Why mummy? Like, why are they be mean? I would see, I remember being a little kid, probably around like um, six years old, four or five, six years old, something like that. I remember it viscerally watching the TV and they were doing a special, it might've been PBS or something. Some station was doing a thing on civil rights. And I saw all these white men in uniforms with these big fucking fire hoses spraying a bunch of African-American people. And I just remember sobbing in the living room saying, I don't know why they, why are they being so mean mummy? Like, that's what I kept saying. Why are they doing that? Like I was never taught, like, I mean, I was, I was taught, I was taught that we look different. Like as little kids are like, Oh, why is their skin darker? You ask those kinds of questions. But my parents always said like, we, we don't judge people on that stuff. It's all about who a person is. Like, what's their character? Like, who are they? Whatever. So I just couldn't understand why all these people were like being mean. So I've always been like wicked sensitive and aware and, um, and hyper curious, hyper curious. And that's what, and that's one of the beautiful things that have mostly helped me in my life because when you're curious and don't, don't get me wrong, the ego has plenty of judging that it likes to do. But I'm more curious now than ever. And I'm more curious than, 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 so I lead with curiosity instead of judgment. So my own curiosity really helped me. I, I always say, you, 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 you know, you, especially as a teacher or a mentor, I can take you to the door. I can get you on the ball field or in the neighborhood. I can take you to the door, but I can't make you open the door or walk through the door. So you have to have enough, like there's a couple of things that usually happen. You're either wicked curious I, I describe it like this. You come to a point where you're like so sick of your fucking self in your shit. Like you just want to unzip yourself and crawl out of yourself. You can't stand yourself anymore, right? Something, as Tony Robbins says, you'll keep doing what you're doing until it becomes too painful that you have to stop. And I also, my mother started coming to me in dreams. And she said to me, um, I've forgiven him meaning the man that killed her. Mm -hmm. I've forgiven him. Now it's your turn. 
And I realized that I was sorely lacking in knowing how to even undertake such a task. Like I grew up in a family that kind of had like the mafia eye for an eye. You knock me down, you punch me, I'm coming back twice as hard, right? There was no forgiveness work happening in my realm of influence. So I had to figure that out. Again, I had a love of books. So what did I do? I went to the bookstore. That's how Marianne's book like fell off the shelf. And that's how we ended up meeting because I got up at one of her lectures to ask a question. I thought it was going to be about relationships because it was a relationship workshop at Agape, uh, Michael Beckwith's uh, place in LA. That's when we first met. And when I got up to the mic, I was like overtaken by something. I ended up asking a question about forgiveness instead. And that's what kind of started our relationship. So I think there's a lot of factors that play into it. And yes, you have to want to change. You have to want to grow. You have to get tired of the status quo. You have to get tired other of yourself, your situation, your own thinking. And I just knew that the level of thought that I was living, and I wasn't like cognizant of it. It's not like I was so like, I knew, well, here's what I knew. I was suffering. I wanted it to stop. I didn't know how. So I got help. That's it. I want to I ask this for, because I think that, you know, the level in which we show up and the level that we, we place, you know, our energy into solving a problem. So, like, you get up on the mic and you tell, like, ask a question about forgiveness. That doesn't lead to a job. There had to have been, like, you know, a communication or, you know, some sort of thread here. And, you know, I just started a book called <laughs> Relentless and I don't know if any, I'm an avid reader too. Like, yeah. so that's a part of, I'm like, oh my God, I am like the hugest book nerd in the land. So yeah. I, could, I could do a podcast just talking about books with you probably, <laughs> but like yes. there is a level in which, you know, the determination in which we show up to solve the problem, right? Like, you know, or with our business or with our lives and like, being that he says relentless in in pursuing the the result or the answer or what it is that we desire. Oh yeah, I mean it, it is. I mean it's it's a. It, I don't. So I jokingly say I am relentless. <laughs> Ask anybody when I want an answer or I want to know something. Like you know I I am uh, I am <laughs> relentless, but um, I'm in search of you know I I'm always really curious about what the truth is. You know, I want to know, I want to know why, like that, that has never changed. Like my mantra, like one of my mother's best friends who I hadn't seen in like 30 years, I went and had lunch with her to um, my sister and I to, to talk to her about the book. This was many years ago, but she said, Karen, when you were a little kid, your mantra was why mom, why mom, why mom, why mom? I'm like, it still is. It's still why, it's still why mom, right? It's still why, why, why? I'm so, I'm so fascinated. And yeah. So, and again, I, I'm like, listen to episode three of my podcast and it's all, that whole story of okay. what happened at the mic and then she invited me on stage and then she asked to meet me and she asked me who are you and then the, all the steps of how that relationship happened um you know is on there and it was and she's often said to me you know you reminded me of a younger version of me she saw herself in me i like at that point was just like holy shit um because she seemed to like know so much I'm like, how does she know this stuff? And so I, I did, I mean, she knows because she put in the time and the work. She was curious. She read the books. She did the stuff, right? She, but here's the thing. All that spirit needs, whether you call it Holy Spirit or spirit, all that spirit is asking for from you is a tiny bit of willingness to change your mind 
about how you perceive yourself, your brothers and sisters, the situation, the world, and God. It's not like you have to show up and say, I'm ready, heal me. It's like, no, you just need to have a tiny bit of willingness. And sometimes the willingness comes from you finally just fucking surrender because you're exhausted from trying to do it your way. And I always say to people, if, oh, somehow it just made me the whole, okay, <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> uh, oh, there you are. Hi. It's never and good when you get kicked out of your own. I was like, I'm the host now. Great. What am I going to do? Da, 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 da. Were you uh, dancing? Because I was dancing. I was doing the frozen dance until I got kicked <laughs> But I love that. Like, to me, that's real life. Don't even edit. I'm not saying you would. I don't even edit my show. Whatever happens, bloopers and all, like it happens. So it's like, yeah. So I think that the desire has to be there. And I call it curiosity. I call it willingness. At some point, you just have to say, and this is how A Course in Miracles actually came into being, is that somebody had to say, there must be a better way. And then somebody else said, I'm willing to help you find it. And that's all that Holy Spirit's waiting for is for you to say, I don't know. When you admit that you don't know, you actually become what I like to say, learnable. You become teachable. Mm. But so many people walk around going, I know, I can't tell you how many people who like when they're my clients, you know, they, they sign up to work with me and they'll be like, I'll say something to them. And they go, I know, I know, I know. I know you don't know. Cause if you fucking knew, this is the difference between like knowing and knowing being able to live it and apply it and practice it there's a lot of knowing that goes on i'm like no you don't know because if you knew you wouldn't be in the problem you wouldn't have had to hire me if you knew truth mom um so it is true it's totally true and i think that there's a level of being wanting to be seen as having like oh i know what i'm i know yeah right like it's it's double amen hands like yes but that's the thing too many people are busy trying to come off as, perform as, pretend, be seen as, having their shit together, knowing the answers, being a te- Like, I can't tell you how many people, like, they'll hear me speak and then they'll come up to me and they'll be like, I just got a divine download that I'm supposed to be a spiritual teacher. And I'm like, based on what? What's your spiritual tradition? What have you been studying long enough that you actually have something to say? Like, original or helpful or whatever. And that's not a downplay. I'm not saying... Like, I'm special. But here's what I do know. I actually have a body of work. I have a system. I can tell you, these are the things I did. This is what we're going to do. Like, when you work with me, this is what happens, right? So I think it's beautiful if you feel called to be a teacher of God, as we would say, you know, or to be a helper. But you've got to know what you're talking about. Or you're just, like I say, you know just enough to be dangerous, so I'm going to talk about this because I, I think that this is a beautiful expression of like, am I, we're going to have a little chat because I think this we're is work. It's like, I think that there, there's a level in which we have to step into our, our stardust and our light, right? So there's this, this space or this gap of like, okay, now I know. And I'm going to ask you about how you became a coach, but like, there's a, there's a place where you guys, you're going to get an inkling and urge and nudge that says, I'm here to do something. I'm here to be you know, a catalyst, a change maker, a coach, uh, you know what I mean? And you're going to not know how to title yourself or how to land that word or where to step into. And so like, there's a beautiful space of knowing that, you know, in terms of spiritual coach, I think what, what you're saying is to say, like, just to throw the word download out and, you know, on becoming a spiritual coach with 
within like just having been in an event that doesn't necessarily mean anything you actually said putting the you know the pedal to the metal the whatever the rubber to the track however the rubber meets the road yeah <laughs> yeah 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 it's but really- i like i like listening to you keep i'm like oh just she's gonna keep coming up with different ways of saying it's really fun so i was enjoying that i know you. right i'm lucky because i was listening i'm just like i'm gonna i'm gonna try and recall it by saying a bunch of things out loud right so it's, it's totally cool when you receive the message it's just that you know there has to be a level of there oh, has to be a foundation there's got to be, a, you know, I'm vegan, so I always say, there's got to be some tofu in the sandwich. Like, it can't just be mayonnaise, like vegan mayonnaise, and white bread. Like, there's got to be some substance. There's got to be something. So, this is what I'm saying. Teach, you can, I don't have a problem with you teaching, you, if you were somebody who was an alcoholic, you went to AA, you got a sponsor. You got clean by making daily decisions to stay sober. You wake up in the morning, you have a spiritual practice, you do, 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 do. Go, please, by all means, if you know how to do it, you can go help other people get, yes. you know what I'm saying? Yes. I, I think we often get the inspiration. And here, and you heard me talk about this, you know I can be kind of hot about this. People love to say it was a divine download. I'm like, no, you had a fucking idea because your rent is due. It's not that I had a divine download. It's like you just had an idea. There's a difference between, like I would say, in A Course in Miracles, we call it your individual curriculum. You have to be very suspicious and know when you're being guided to do something from the ego versus you're being guided to do something from spirit, Holy Spirit. And I'm not, again, I'm not the spirit police. I'm not walking around telling people that's a divine download and that's not. I'm just saying you have to be really suspicious because I see these patterns and trends in young coaches where they're just following what everybody else is doing. They're not actually listening to their own inner teacher. They're looking at trends. They're on social media. And there'll be a thing that happens over here and then everybody's talking about the divine feminine or there's a thing on cycles and blah, 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 and then everybody's doing it. And it's like, that's great if it calls to you, but don't do it just because you think it's popular. Do it because it actually came to you and it's yours, right? Right. So I guess what I'm saying is it's not like you have to wait until you're the fucking Dalai Lama to start being a coach, but you do have to be honest about what you do and do not know. Yes. You do have to have some results somewhere to be able to say, I know I can help you because I've done it here and here and here and here and right. here. And, and I think we- so powerful because if you can solve, like solving the problem for yourself first on some level, so you can turn around and support the person standing behind you to bring you to the level in which you have. Yes. You know, so yeah. there's also, there's also the layer of, You may know how to do it for yourself, but can you articulate step-by-step in a helpful way how somebody else does it? Has the personal moved into the realm of universal yet? For a lot of people, they just know, well, I feel better. I can do this. And it's like, well, can you break it down for me? Can you tell me what your ultimate result system is, as I call it? Can you tell me how you're going to take this person, you know, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm just saying, just call yourself on your own. If you, well, I always say people have blind spots to their own bullshit. And hopefully you have people in your life who will compassionately reflect them back to you. I'm just saying, if you're going to call yourself a coach, you have to know how to actually coach something. 
Like you have to know how to do it because A, you've done it yourself and B, you've actually helped at least one or two or three other people do it. Have their transformation. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, totally, totally. I'm with you. I'm picking I'm picking up what you're saying. I'm I'm not saying that you're like I'm not again, I'm not sitting here policing people saying, Oh, you want to be a spiritual coach? What makes you think you could be? It's not that. It's like be really honest. What is your spiritual? Like, like this is what I'm saying. So, like over 20 years yoga teacher, over 20 years passage meditation, over 26 years course in miracles. I've got a foundation. I, I did a year-long spiritual mentoring certification program with a hardcore spiritual mentor teacher, right? And I say hardcore, she's lovely, but like we did the work. So I didn't just one day go, I'm an intuitive coach. I'm a spiritual mentor. It's like I, I have a foundation that I can pull from because I think, here's what I think. You, if you decide to be a leader, a coach, a priest, a mentor of any kind, when people are coming to you out of desperation, fear, they're suffering, and they give you money to help them, you have such a responsibility. And I know even, let's just call it a yoga class. If you're somebody's first yoga experience, what happens in that room for them And you can't control everybody's experience, but all you can do is bring the best of yourself to that moment. If you don't show up, people can have a terrible, I can't tell you how many people I've met over the years who said, I tried yoga, it wasn't for me. I go, what do you mean? What happened? And they tell me the story and I just think, Mm. that teacher blew it. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe that person wasn't just ready, but usually it's because the teacher didn't know what they were doing. They didn't create an experience where that person felt welcomed, seen, heard, included, and they'll never go back. So I just feel like if you're going to be in the role of the teacher, of the mentor, of the coach, man, had you better be legit. And being fully, the thought that I had to you guys is having, being fully present for the people, fully present, right? Like, you know, that is so key in the service of, you know, the person that we're here to serve is like really being with them in that moment and not thinking about your to-dos, your this or your that, or like, you know what I mean? The experience, you know, for me, just playing off of that, Karen, is that like, even here with you right now, there doesn't exist anything else outside of this conversation, Right, like you are the most important human to me. Here. Well, you gotta work. The, your work. People always say to me, "I don't like what's my purpose." Where's my? So I have thoughts about this. Your identity. I'm like, let's clear it up. It's really simple. When you get this, it's really simple. Who am I? What's my identity? Who you are is love. You're an extension of love. That's it. You are love. Okay. Yeah. What's my purpose? Your only purpose as love is to extend that love. Love it. That's it. If you want to extend it as a janitor, as a coach, as a doula, as a person on Wall Street, what, I don't care what your title is in the world, in the illusion, in the dream. You are love. Your only job is to extend that love. That, when you get that, everything else gets cleared up really quickly. Like, that's the only gig. So, so then, people will say, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, how did you get into coaching? Because now I'm super curious. Like, that was something I wanted yeah. to ask, but then, like, yeah. I'm gonna an- I'll did- answer that. I'll answer that in okay. one second. Because I wanted to finish up with this other thought. People yeah. say to me, like, I don't know what to do. What's my purpose? I'm like, the work is right in front of you. Who's in front of you? 
what land is we say so i use gardening metaphors a lot when i talk about my ultimate result system and the steps that we go through right so i've got to like i'm like you you want your assignment it's right in front of you where are you with yourself with the people who shared your home your neighborhood your community your town your state your what's in front of you that's the assignment like it's not that hard it's like look you, you you've got plenty of work right on your plate but at some point we have to move beyond self-help beyond the individual to the universal so that's that so how i got into coaching okay i was a yoga teacher first of all my whole life my whole life i was the person on the t or on the bus in la that somebody would sit next to be a total stranger and somehow by the time we get off the bus i would know their problem their life story their situation. People have always just talked to me. I've always been somebody that people come to for advice or a safe place or whatever it is. I don't know how it happened because you're like, the first time I met you, I was afraid, which makes me laugh. So there's a whole, I want to circle back to that in a minute. But so I've just always been that person that people talk to. So um, then I became a yoga teacher. And what I started to find is that after class, people were just hanging around taking their time, putting on their shoes. And inevitably it would be like, so I always talk about the D's, right? I'd be, there'd be a death, a divorce, a diagnosis. Like it's like something, something happened. They'd be crying in my office. They wanted to talk. It just kept happening and happening, happening. So my sweetie's like, well, your class gets done at 7.15. You'll probably be home at like 7.45, eight at the latest. He's waiting for me to have dinner or whatever the thing was. And he'd be like, it'd be nine o'clock and he'd be texting me like, where, the f where are you? What, what are you doing? First of all, like, are you safe, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, so-and-so is here having an incident, you know, like whatever. And I just found that for many years, I was just mentoring people and coaching people after class naturally. So I one day was talking to my spiritual mentor, one of my spiritual mentors, and, and um, I just said to her, yeah, I find that I'm like da 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 and she's like, you, you have to stop that. And I was like, what? She's like, they have no skin in the game. There's no value. Like, it's valuable what you're doing, but it's not an even exchange. So eventually, you're either going to be resentful, you're going to get pissed, you're not going to like, da, da, da. They, they've got to get some skin in the game. She's like, you know, if you're going to do that, you have to start charging money. Because you're spending an hour, 90 minutes or whatever with these people counseling them. You know, and the, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, so you just call yourself a spiritual mentor? Like, what? I, you know, whatever. And again, at that point, I was already long, I mean, wicked, like 20 years and all these different things. But for me, it was really important. So then she, she remembered that conversation. And like a few months later, she reached out to me and she said, you know that I have a spiritual mentoring program. And I was like, Oh yeah, that's right. And she said, this is the last year I'm going to run it because she was going off to Harvard to get her theological PhD and to do all this stuff. And she had been a therapist. She had been a teacher at UNH. She was genius. I mean, just genius. And uh, in, in all things theology, she's an interfaith minister, like all this stuff. And so she said, this is the last year I'm going to run it. And I said, well, when does it begin? And, and, and she said, tonight. Wow. And I said, and it was like an investment. And it was a year-long program, and I was like, I said, look, I, I have three I have whatever I have, I have two or three classes tonight. I can't just bail, can't just close the studio. I said, I'll tell you this. 
If I can get somebody to cover all of my classes, I will know that I'm supposed to be there. And this is me. It's like two o'clock. My classes start at six, whatever the thing was. I was like, or it was 12, whatever, whatever, whatever the time was. I'm like, there's no way, there's no way. I just send a random like test because I didn't have a huge studio. I had a yoga studio at the time. I didn't have a huge studio. I had a handful of teachers, like three. I knew one had kids that's not gonna have whatever. And I just sent out a text and somebody wrote back and said, oh, I need the extra dough. I would love that. And I was like, so I knew. And so I went and I dedicated a year and like I did it. And then, so I officially stepped into the role and people had been telling me all, people had been asking me for years, will you please lead at a course at Miracles study group? And I'd say, nope. Because the Course in Miracles people can get weird. Like, it's like, I'm just like, nope. Because the course is a self-study program. It says it right in the book. That's how it's designed, a self-study program. And I've just seen it get too weird online with the Course in Miracles groups. I've been to Course in Miracles things, and I'm like, these people are nuts. And I say that jokingly. We're all nuts. But I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. So I resisted, 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 resisted. Finally, enough people asked. And I was like, okay, they're trying to tell me something. So I did, I led, uh, for two years, I led A Course in Miracles group. And then it just all just kind of, this is what I'm saying. It was not a clear path. I take what's called the zigzag path. Gradually but inevitably, all roads were leading to this. But here's the other thing. I already know. I'm not going to coach forever. I know at some point I'm going to step into whatever it looks like. I don't have all the details yet, but I know it's right up speaker, podcaster, and I'm already doing those things, but I think it's just going to get amplified in a way that I can't even imagine yet. And that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm going to be famous. I just mean I'm going to be called to projects and new things where doing one-to-one or doing group coaching, it just won't make sense anymore because my books will be the coaching. The books will be the love letters. You know, the books will be the breadcrumbs, will be the teachings, you know, the speaking gigs or whatever, or the podcast interviews will be the thing. And it's why, like, in my own business, let's talk about, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of entrepreneurs who are your listeners. Uh, do you? Yeah. yeah. So I'm always thinking, like, I'm, I'm in the moment about with what I'm doing. But I'm also, so A Course in Miracles says, um, a healed mind, a healed mind does not plan. And what that means is basically, um, it does, you don't plan by yourself because an unhealed mind is the mind that is making plans with the ego, which kind of falls in line with that old saying, like man, make, you know, humans make plans and, and God laughs, right? So it's kind of this thing. So I, I have ideas about what's coming, but I'm open clearly to my inner GPS. God's pretty smart. I'm always listening to the voice for God, the memory of God in my mind. There's a part of all of our minds that has never left God. It's always in communion. And I just know, and that's why even my, my what we'll call them packages or programs, I only have two now. It's group and really high end, we'll call it VIP for lack of a bit, custom, you know, where it's an investment and it's a year long deep dive. And, and eventually, maybe it will just go to the one where if you're serious, we'll do this. And then probably at some point, I'm not going to coach anymore. I can already feel it. Like, I can already feel like I'm going off. Like, it's like, this is what's happening. But for now, 
I'm with right who's in front of me. The work is what's in front of me. Love it. I love you. Like, I'm like, I, I love you. <laughs> Thanks. Isn't that great? I get to come on a podcast and I just hear, I love you. So can we talk about this? Because I'm fascinated by this. So <laughs> this is where I'm, I'm like, the tables are turning. A I, know, yeah, I like it. I like it because I do. I like it. So, oh, it's 1111. Perfect. See, I'm supposed to ask this question. Okay. So um, my newsletter is going out right this moment. Uh, my episode on let's talk about drinking. So I just got really excited. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so um, I often say, like, I jokingly say, I don't get a lot of feedback in my life. Right. I ask for it. I asked for it. When I first started dating my sweetie, I mean, we're married now. When I first started dating him, I said, if I do anything annoying that annoys you, you have to tell me. Like, you have to tell me. I don't want to have an argument three months from now where you turn to me and you go, you always do this. Well, how the fuck? You don't tell me that I do it. How do I know that I've done it? So I always ask. I don't surround myself with people who are yes people. I want people to give me feedback, you know, and blah, blah, blah. I always say, but I'm a gateless writing teacher and we only focus on what's good, the compassionate, that's a whole other story for another day. So I'm like, just whatever you're going to say, say it to me in a way that I can actually receive it or hear it. Right. So I don't care if you critique, can critique me, but you must do it. I care with my writing again, different story, but in my human life, just this stuff, you can say whatever you want to say, just make sure I can hear it. So one day I was talking with somebody and I said, I have no idea what people think of me because as much as there are people like, I love you. There's, I was so intimidated by you. I was so afraid of you. Like, blah, blah, blah. and I always laugh. I'm like, okay, if you talk to me, like, I'm like a puppy. I'm like a, I'm like a puppy. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> I was like so excited. But I said to a friend one time, look, you're going to find, I hope maybe you'll find this interesting. I said, and it might say more about what they thought of me than, than what anybody, they were a friend. And I said, I don't know what people think of me. I don't know what people say behind my back. I said, if they were going to say something negative behind my back, I wonder what they would say. And she paused and she said, Maybe that you think you're better than other people. And I started to laugh. I said, that's amazing. Because one of the reasons why I'm actually vegan is because I don't think I'm better than anybody else, including the animals. That's why I don't inflict myself on them, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. But I think what it is, is I'm very confident. But it's not, it's not that I'm confident in KK. I'm confident that I'm being guided and I am unwavering in listening to my instructions and then applying it. So I'm willing to be unpopular mm -hmm. in service to the truth, yep. which might just be in that moment, my truth. I'm not saying it's the truth, but I'm willing to say what needs to be said. And I'm willing to do what needs to be done. So it's not that I'm so confident because I'm so full of myself. It's just, no, I'm at ease in my own body, or I would say in my own being because I'm a spirit. We're spiritual beings having a human experience. So in this human experience, I'm more and more aligned. A Course in Miracles says, you know, try to focus more on the part of you that identifies with spirit than the body. So I'm fascinated to hear why. When, when somebody says, I was so intimidated by you, I think, <laughs> how much of that is mine? Because I like yours. to be clear of that. Right, versus, so what was the experience and why would you be afraid of me? Because as you can see, I'm actually really friendly. <laughs> I know with that. So this is about how I felt because I know I had said that the last yes retreat I was at that you know the first time I met Karen and even you know Amber who is my mentor at the time like I I personally had created this this boundary of intimacy 
I did not want people to truly connect to me. And so it was nothing to do with the intimidation of others. It was everything to do with my lack of self-confidence and self-worth in myself. And so it was fascinating to have gone through a year ago's experience where I was like, oh my God, I can't talk to anyone. I'm not even going to go like sit by them and like all those kinds of things, right? To this past experience that we had where I was like, holy fuck, what the hell? Why would I keep this wall up? Why am I not like truly experiencing the levels of relationships that I can be experiencing in this new way? And I just, again, chose to make it really easy and just allowed the walls to just basically disappear, fade away, do what they, whatever they did, transmute, however the word you want to call it is. And, you know, and then leaned into this, this new level of being and like leaned into saying, okay, well, if the wall is gone then I need to step to the other side right like you know it's that oh, I can't remember what you said metal to that I hear a lot that people like I'll come off a stage right from speaking at the summit for example and I would I a lot of people came right up to me and they're like oh my god I'm so nervous talking to you right now and I'm like relax like I'm just like just we're just here it's good and then other people wrote to me and they said I couldn't work up the courage to come up to you and speak to you at the summit and I just think like I'm like am I projecting like this like I laugh because I'm like I'm like because I'm just like no come say hi like big hugs like the whole thing and the people who do come in and talk to me and are vulnerable and truthful with me you know after that event so many people came up to me and told me their own stories about like really brutal and horrific things that had happened or were currently happening. And I, we were able to have a moment where I could see them and hopefully in some cases be helpful, you know? And, and so it's just this, this thing of like, it's all just fear. All that was the wall, you know, this, all the walls, all this, it's just fear. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the miracle. And of course, miracles we talk about the miracle is when you um, shift your mind from fear to love. It's not Jesus walking on water. That's what we call magic. That's like crystals and oils and all the things we love, the statues, all this stuff, the all salt lamps. What? It's all just magic. But I always say, part of the illusion, but it can be helpful part of the illusion, right? But the miracle is all internal. It's all what happens on the level of content. It's all what happens on the level of mind. Shifting your mind from fear to love is going to help you to see yourself, your brothers and sisters, your situation, the world, the president, even the whole thing totally differently. And that's the real work, you know, and, and sometimes we get stuck because as Einstein says, and I'm paraphrasing, like the level of thinking that got you into the problem is not the same level of thinking that can find the solution. And if you already knew the answer, you wouldn't need help. So it's, it's being willing to say like, I'm out of, I don't know. I don't, I've done everything. I, like when you come to a place of vulnerability, it's such an opportunity for great strength. I always say to people, your strength lies in asking for help. Your strength lies in finally admitting to yourself, stop bullshitting yourself that you know exactly what to do because your best thinking got you where you are. So being able to, um, you know, like you said, when you are willing to let down that wall that actually kept you separate, that's all ego construction. Like your ego is like building itself a plaza, a nice high rise hotel. Oh yeah. It was, it was like, Oh, I don't, I don't have to do that. 
And once you did, it's like you had a totally different experience. And I could see, I could see the change in you. And I was like, oh yeah, she's here and we're back and welcome home and we're back. And that's the thing. I, I always want to be really clear with people. We think with spiritual practices or becoming ourselves or stepping into the truth or whatever you want to call it, looks like we have to become something. We have to do all this stuff. The really the only doing is the removal, the removing of the blocks and the barriers that you have built against your awareness of what I say, love's ever abiding presence. Mm -hmm. Who you are and what you are is always right there. So, you know, Michelangelo talks about how, um, I'm pretty sure it was Michelangelo, um, and people would say, oh my God, how do you sculpt these incredible things? He has this famous sculpture, I think it's Michelangelo. He had a famous sculpture of this incredible elephant. It was made from like tons and tons and tons of like rock that was brought from this quarry. And he says, the elephant already exists. I just chip away at everything that's not elephant. That's the spiritual work, is we finally surrender. We have a willingness. And then slowly with daily spiritual practices, with choices that we make, Everything from like where you shop, how you speak, what companies you for, like everything. Everything is your spiritual life. Everything, whether you're making love or making a salad, God is there. Your whole life is your spiritual life. So our job is just to chip away at everything that's not love. Chip away at everything that's not us. Separation, violence, fear, condemnation, judgment, blame, shame, guilt, all of it. We just chip away at it. And we start to recognize, oh, that's fear. Anything that's not love, and I don't talk human love. Human love is very finicky. It's very conditional. Eternal divine love. Anything that's not of God, we chip away. When are you going to start your Sunday uh, practices? Oh, yes. I'm calling it it, um, the Sunday spiritual. And uh, I'm going to start doing it uh, probably either at the end of July or August. And I might just start with once a month like online zoom and people can sign up to be on the call. It's like, you know, we call it KK church, but not in a creepy churchy way. You know what I'm saying? And I don't have a problem with the church. I was raised in the church. Yep. I still love churches as buildings themselves and what they can represent. And I just want to be clear. I'm not calling myself Jesus Christ. I'm not saying I'm starting a church, but we jokingly amongst my friends call it KK church. So the Sunday spiritual, um, I think that's what I'm going to call it. Uh, that's, that's what, that's what they told me on the run yesterday. Anyways, it just came, you know, just came. So, um, yeah, because I want to know that so I can share it with everybody and put it in like, because you know what I mean? Like it really, you really do have this gift to bring the message so clearly that we remember. I'm on fire. Like as my, my spiritual mentor said, and I told you guys in the group, uh, you know, she says you're on fire for God. And don't let any, like she said, like, you're like a horse running across the plains, setting everything on fire. And that's how I feel. It's like, when I think about the different spiritual traditions, and I say there's certain traditions that are just too, and some people would say this about A Course in Miracles, but I actually think Jesus and A Course in Miracles is wicked funny and very direct. There's like no messing around. It's very simple, actually. I always say, it's not difficult, it's different. And it's, it's, it's simple, but it doesn't mean it's easy to apply. But there's some spiritual practices that are very, what I call reptilian. They're cold-blooded. They're just very like, I'm kind of like with Rumi and Hafiz and like the drunken, drunk with devotion, like, you know, loving God. Like that's kind of my camp. 
but I'd like to do it in a way, and I don't know why I use this example, but it's what always comes out of my mouth, is I want to be able to have the, these kinds of conversations with like a dude that's jackhammering on Newbury Street, like just a dude off the street. And not a woman, because women tend to listen. They'll be like curious enough. But I want to be able to talk about God and spiritual principles and whatever the God of your own understanding is. Call it your highest self. I don't care what you call it. But I want to be able to bring it right down to what I would call like my people from like my childhood, the blue collar people. I like to make big spiritual concepts um, as, as, as accessible and practical that you can actually see why you should give a shit. And how to apply it in your daily life. Because it's one thing, like just growing up as a Catholic kid, I'd see everybody get dressed up and be nice on Sunday in church. But then as soon as you stepped outside the doors, all bets were off. Drinking resumed, beating your wife resumed, screaming at your kids, flipping somebody off in the parking lot. I'm like, what just happened? So it was so hypocritical. I'd be like, oh, so we're going to pretend and behave this way here. But we're going to live differently. So I really want to live the truth of ourselves, which is we are spiritual beings having a human experience. And man, can that be hard sometimes? And man, can that be confusing sometimes? And KK, what do I do with this? Or, you know, whatever the thing is. And so I was just like, so many people have left church community, spiritual community Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. We know what happened in the Catholic church with the pedophiles this cult, there's just like, you know, they're always asking for my money. What am I really getting? Right? Whatever, whatever your reason for leaving the church is. But I know the power of spiritual community. And so I'm like, I've just always wanted to create. And, and one of the things that I heard over the last 20 years of teaching yoga is people would say to me, like, coming to your classes sometimes feels like uh, getting a workout, like whatever, I don't even, whatever, but they'd say it's like going to therapy and church at the same time. <laughs> and I just kept hearing that. And I'm like, oh, and some people would write to me and they're going, I'm coming to KK church. And I just would laugh. And I'm like, there's something beautiful about that though. I don't see myself as a priest or what I'm just saying. I, I just love the idea of creating a safe place where people from all faith traditions or none. I just had a woman come to my retreat, my spiritual retreat, mentoring retreat a few weeks ago and she was the first time an atheist came and I was so fascinated by that and she said yeah something's missing Mm. I didn't try to get her to stop being an atheist Mm -hmm. I just used language she could understand so I would say your your highest self Mm -hmm. because I want everybody to be included I want everybody invited to the party of love So I'm really excited about this. So I guess just, you know, if people want to get on my newsletter. So here's the thing. If you go to my website, and this will be helpful because it's a free gift. I'm going to give a free gift. (laughs) So if you go to Karen Kenny, and it's K-E-N-N-E-Y dot com backslash freebie, you'll get a PDF, a free PDF download on how to build your spiritual team. Because you see me keep doing this and talking about this. No, for the listeners, you can't see, so you can run over to YouTube and watch the actual video because Karen's arms and her expressions. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's very (laughs) So beautiful. (laughs) I'm always like waving my hand kind of off to the side above my head. It's like, that's what I'm doing. But if you you do that, once you sign up for that PDF and stuff, you'll automatically be put on my list. And then you'll find out, and I'll I'll drop it on social media when I'm finally going to do the Sunday spiritual when I do it. Uh, and it's great because you can be at home in your PJs with your tea, with your kid on your lap. Well, put earbuds in because I swear um, <laughs> with your pets, like with whoever. And you just get to be at home 
but get to be part of um, returning home to yourself and to the divine, whatever that means to you. So thank you so much for encouraging that because it never goes away. Like no matter how confident you are or whatever, how much you trust, when you're about to do something that a lot of people would see as radical or who the fuck does she think she is, the Sunday spiritual? Like what does she think? She's Oprah. Like the do what she's doing. So whenever you're about to step out, there's this other thing where you just go like, is this necessary? Because I'm like, I always want to know, is this actually helpful? <laughs> is this going to be valuable? Is it, is it true? Is it necessary? Is it kind, right? Is it going to be helpful? And so I was thinking about that this morning. And so for you to ask about it and then encourage people, um, it's just my spiritual team loving me and giving me the sign. So, so thank you for that. My pleasure. And I'll be there. I'll be listening. I'll be present with you on those Sundays, right? I could use a little, you know, kick of KK every single month, you know? So um, I know that we put your email into, in the freebie, we'll put that in the show notes so people can be able to get there and get the information and things like that. And and that's going to be how they can work with you and things like that. If they're feeling, you know, that divine. Yeah. So there'll be the website, Facebook, Instagram, like I'm just on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's all at, you know, that little symbol. Karen Kenny K E N N E Y live L I V. That's how you find me, and um, and I literally have to be on another podcast. I know that's why I'm like, no, 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 I know. So I'm just saying, I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm gonna have to go in a second. I don't want to be rude, so I wanted the chance to say, um, thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation. It's been such a blast. I, I really just pleased to be your guest and to get to share what I love with anybody who's listening. And those of you who tuned in, like I really get you could be like anywhere right now. And the fact that you're listening right now, um, it means a lot to both of us. So yes. please continue to support your wonderful host or friend, or if she's your mentor or coach, Tamara, thank you for giving a shit and for showing up <laughs> and for caring about these things because it's important because this is how, uh, you know, the world out there changes by us changing in here, the quality of our thoughts. And so just thanks. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everybody listening. And, you know, absolutely d- totally go watch this one on YouTube. It's totally it's so <laughs> worth the, the visual and I love you guys. And I will talk to you on Tuesday for transformation Tuesday. Have a magical day. Bye guys. <laughs>